certainly have fears that there is a serial killer at loose in Perth. Sarah Spears, Jane Rimmer, Kira Glennon. And every time you saw a young girl walking by, you think, oh God, is she going to be the next victim? Now, one man stands accused. If police are right and Edwards is the Claremont serial killer, he's been hiding in plain sight for 20 years. For the first time, court was shown the pristine sample of Kira Glennon's hair collected from the crime scene. Welcome to day 77 of Claremont in Conversation with Natalie Bongiolo, Tim Clark and Damien Cripps. Well, we've heard so much about RH17. Tim, can you describe this hair sample for us that you saw today? Yeah, Nat. So this was a, as I said in the intro, this is a hair sample that was taken from Kira um, or Kira's body at least, um, before it had even been removed from the um, spot, the sandy spot in Eglinton where she was she was found. Um, and this is why many, almost, well, more than 20 years later, it became um, so important because it, were, it was basically taken from there before anyone had, had really um, had a chance to um, uh, inspect the, the remains uh, in any great detail um, on, on that day in 1997. And when it was um, taken, um, it was placed in a yellow top container. We heard a lot about yellow top containers back in the DNA portion of the trial. It was given to Laurie Webb from Path West, and then he took it and stored it in, in Path West. And incredibly, that hair sample was not touched for 21 years until it was handed by the police to Rhys Powell at the Cam Centre in 2018, um, which is when him and his um, colleague Peter Collins went to work on it as they had worked on so many of these um, hair samples from Kira. And um, two fibres, um, blue fibres, blue polyester fibres, um, very similar to the ones um, that we've discussed found in other parts of Kira's hair in the car and, and um, on Jane's hair were, were discovered by um, Mr. Powell and Mr. Collins during those um, four days that they went over um, that hair sample. And today we saw a picture of it for the first time. Long time listeners might remember we discussed this at, at some length way back in the post-mortem portion of the trial because um, there was some discussion as to the continuity of the hair sample because of how it was taken and, more importantly, why it wasn't on the video that was um, that was taken. Um, you might remember, or listeners might remember, there was a uh, extensive video recording taken of the scene and then the post-mortem, but for some reason, this little portion when this hair, take, hair sample was taken was cut out of the video. Um, the person that was taking the video, their best explanation was that they were having to change the battery on the old-style video camera at, the, at that time, and that's why um, uh, it wasn't there. Um, and that led to some questioning about the continuity, who touched it, whether they touched it with their bare hands and, and, and questions of that nature, um, which we might return to um, sometime very soon when Mr. Jovic um, does his cross-examination of Mr. Powell, although Mr. Powell's first involvement with it was obviously all those years later, so whether he will be able to answer any of those um, ongoing questions is um, is unlikely. Um, but there was a photo taken of it when it did arrive at the um, at the 
10 centre, and we saw that today. Um, and it was a quite, I've got to say, it was quite a significant um, portion of hair. It wasn't, it wasn't 30 or 50 strands. It was a, a it was, a, it was a quite a significant lock of hair that had been placed in this pot for all those years. Um, and obviously, when it when it was taken out, it became even more significant because of the uh, of the fibres that the prosecution say were present. Yeah. So there, I th- there were fifty five fibres recovered, but two are critical to this trial. So just mm. tell us about those. Uh, what were they matched to? Yeah. So these are the blue polyester fibres that we've heard um, so much about, um, said to be from Mr. Edwards's Telstra work pants. Um, stroke shorts um, and all the comparisons fr- with those fibres were done with all the other corresponding fibres so uh, similar fibres found in Kira's hair uh, a, a similar fibre found in Jane's hair um, there's t- the exemplar pair of pants that eventually did come to be in the possession of the prosecution um, and the um, fibres found in Mr Edwards's actual car um, and so all the all the round robin um, of um, of comparisons were done when they were um, eventually discovered um, in in 2018. Yeah, uh, Damien. Each day, Tim uh, describes to us the pictures that he sees that are shown in the court of the exhibits. How important are these um, these visual exhibits to the judge and to the people who are sitting in the courtroom in a trial like this? Um, Nat, I think that the listeners at home or wherever they are listening would be able to answer that question in their own mind the same as I'm going to answer it. It's difficult when we're hearing Tim describe it because he does such a great job of describing what those things are. But if you could add to that a picture of what it it actually was, it would be terribly helpful because Mm -hmm. you would, you know, it's that human nature of trying to get to the bottom of something. Um, it, It becomes clearer what something is when you're given a visual aid. Yeah, that's yeah. right. And I guess as trials move on and as technology moves on, that is um, available more and more often and in more and more ways. I think that um, sometimes one of the things that I've found um, as a trial lawyer, it, we get so caught up in what's going on in the nature of our investigation into trying to get to the bottom of it, that sometimes we lose sight of that. What we lose sight of what could simply be really helpful to a person trying to make a decision is a picture. Mm. I mean, I've started trials before and I'm, I'm not embarrassed or ashamed to say where um, I've had a, a trial judge say to me and the prosecutor, would it, did it not occur to either of you to simply provide us with a map? You know, you know because <laughs> yeah. obviously now we've got the Google Maps, which, you know, um, for years and years and years, um, trial lawyers never had. I mean, uh, sure, you could come into court with a, a street director, a UBD, I think they, that they used to be called, <laughs> Um, but now it's so simple to simply go to Google Maps or something equivalent and print off a map, which make, you know, when you're trying to describe, say, for instance, a traffic incident and you say, you know, you were heading down such and such a street and you turn right on left onto such and such street, if you just simply present a map, it makes it so much easier for a person to um, determine what those words actually mean. And as technology advances, um, you know, if, we, if we're um, talking about critical fibres and fibres, um, some of the pictures that would be becoming available to the people in the um, in the process uh, in this uh, in this trial would be in such a beneficial position because of technology, because those pictures and the 
the, the technology that cameras and lenses have now can really blow them up so we can see all the things that the experts are describing. I think it's a great time and it's only going to get better. Yeah, I mean, the old saying, you know, a picture paints a thousand words and that is definitely the case in, in this uh, trial, I imagine, Tim. We've had a, I think we've had a thousand pictures of about a hundred thousand <laughs> words in the last uh, four days now. Um, That's right. Just to add what Damien said there, I personally, I think without the photographs of the fibres that we have been shown ad infinitum over the last week or so, uh, this fibre portion of the trial would simply be impossible to mm. run because the way that, I mean, and as Damien's so adequately explained there, explanations are all very well. Um, and to describe a dilasterant and, and how something looks under a microscope is all very well. But if the judge could not see it himself, then I I, I think that he he would come to the conclusion, well, I, I just can't decide without seeing it, um, it with my own eyes. And I have to say, a lot of Justice Hall's um, own questions of Mr. Powell over the last week or so have been based around what he has seen on the screen. And he has asked, well, that looks slightly thicker or that, or that you know, that coloration is, why is that the way it is? So, um, yeah, I mean, it, absolutely invaluable. Um, and uh, as I say, the, the, the fiber portion has been um, absolutely um, incalculable. The yeah. amount of uh, the amount of photographs we've actually been shown. And interestingly, today that at one point Justice Hall actually asked for the lights to be turned down because he <laughs> wanted to see a picture clearer. Yeah, yeah. So. Uh, just to describe it to the listeners, uh, the, the, you've got these bright field images, which is the, the, the white background and the dark fibre. You've got these polarised images, which are like the negative. That are, it, it looks a little, if you can imagine a jellyfish in, a, in an aquarium under mm -hmm. the UV lights, that's what it, look, it, what it looks like a little bit. But then there, there are other um, additional photographs that go with it. Um, and one of them is particularly the, the phosphorence of the, of the fibre, so how it appears um, in the dark, basically. Um, but with the lights up, um, the dark appears dark on the screen. And so Mr. Powell was trying to explain that the one fibre was slightly more phosphorant than the other, i.e. glowed a bit more. Um, and so Justice Hall said, well, yeah, let's dim the lights and uh, didn't ask for the popcorn, but he, um, <laughs> but he did dim the lights. And lo and behold... The image on the screen did become a little bit, um, a little bit clearer. So, uh, interesting. Just another example. No stone unturned, as we've said so many times. Yeah, that's right. Now, also under the microscope today was the fibres that were found in Bradley Edwards' old work car. Yes, that's right. So um, these are the last batch of fibres that we'll be going through. Um, and they were actually um, not the last batch of fibres to be found, um, but they were some of the fibres that really did kick off this second um, stage of the fibre investigation when the car was seized in 2016. Um, it was Mr Powell himself, along with um, his colleague Peter Collins, who, who who really did the dirty work, and it was dirty work because it was debris, um, scrapings, and all the dust mites and dust bunnies that you could imagine might be um, in, in a bracket on a car that, um, that had been sort of used for more than 20 years almost continuously, but not by Mr. Edwards, of course. Um, and they got down on their hands and knees with their masks and their gowns and their scalpels and their, and their razor blades and, and extracted these, um, these uh, scrapings from this bracket 
um, popped them in a petri dish, took them back to the lab, and then under the microscope, um, there they were, these 13 um, so-called critical fibres, which are, are said to have endured for um, for more than two decades in this car. And so we started to go through those today and all the matches or comparisons, at least, that were made um, with all the other blue fibres um, that, um, that we've described. And why a lot of those fibres corresponded, there was more in this category of fibres that varied, wasn't there? Correct. Um, yeah. And, and, and again, I think, I'm, I'm anticipating, I'm guessing, but I'm guessing Mr. Jovic might really um, hone in on this. So the fibres, when the fibres taken from the car were compared to the other critical fibres, i.e. the ones on Kira and Jane and the Karakata victims' shorts, there was... Um, a, a, a bigger variance or a more common variance, and the variance in most terms was the diameter, i.e. the width, how wide the fibre appeared. But what Mr. Powell said was, when they then got these Telstra pants um, in 2018, so two years after the car was seized, and the swatch of the material that was used to make these pants, when they compared those fibres to the ones in the car, they almost all matched um, as close as you could. They corresponded. So the Chem Centre um, report concluded that because those fibres in the car matched the swatch, and the swatch and the pants matched the other fibres, then they could... Um, complete the circle and say, QED, those fibres from Kira and Jane and Karakata matched um, the fibres in the car, even though they actually didn't, if you see what I wow, mean. Wow, yeah. Because, um, and this, uh, and, and Judge uh, Justice Hall jumped on this um, almost straight away um, and, and really did um, quiz Mr. Powell um, for quite a while about how, how you can, make that conclusion and more to the point why would there be this variance and what he said was or or his explanation was um the five the actual fibers in the pants themselves there was quite a bit of variance in them when when he took control fibers from various parts of the pants and various parts of the swatch there was a natural or a or a you know a variance in in and of itself and so that is why there would be a variance with the fibers that were found on the um the two dead victims and the one live victim so um so yeah an interesting um Mm. leap to make and i'm sure that it will be something that mr jovich might want to make something of as well but um, damien might might want to pick me up on that (laughs) i I don't think there's i don't don't think that there's um unless you're sitting there going through what you're going through tim it's very (laughs) difficult to when I say going through, unless you're, I think, sitting there firsthand and listening to mm. all the, the evidence, it's very difficult to keep track of the fibres, what the source of the fibre was, yeah. what the critical fibre was, um, and, and, and how they play out into uh, the circular, as you, as you put it before. Um, yeah. So it's difficult for me in the position I'm in to give sort of, I think, really helpful input into what, um, you know, how Mr. Jovic might structure a line of questioning to to assist the defence in this position. Yeah. I mean, I don't know about you, Damien, but what I still am finding quite incredible about these fibres collected from a car that was driven by the accused 20 years ago is that they are playing part in a trial today, which is so far down the track. That is still, to me, quite um, gobsmacking. It is. And so, so one of the things that Tim 
raised just the air just previously um, that I think sits with what what you've just raised there, Nat, is that it seems that the expert has given evidence that effectively says even though these fibres don't match, they actually do, which is yes. yeah, quite a quandary to, to consider. But I think it, it, what I might be able to assist in that in saying that if you think about... Um, I'm just trying to think. The best example I might give is that if you think about a pair of jeans um, that, that obviously are made up of a collection of fibres that have that have all been melded together in some way, shape, or form that makes them into uh, jeans. I don't know how they get how they end up in that way, but we understand that they're a material. And then they get washed, and then the, the, the tension and the the fabric changes because of the the amount of times they've been washed. So what I, I was taking from what um, Tim had said was that we've, we've got two pieces of fibre that the expert is suggesting are a match, even though on the photo and the test they're not a match. So what there's been so many things that have happened to these two fibres that are different since they've been separated that they could ultimately not match today but they do have all the properties that would would have made them be able to match back in the day if i could put it that way does that is that right yeah there is some there is something to that as well um so even under the microscope some of the fibers have looked um on on the surface to be different colors but what mr powell has said well those fibers have been in that car for more you know 20 years they get dirty they obviously get dirty and dirty down to a the at that actual sort of microscopic mm-hmm. level um there are obviously they've been subject to washing and other um elements and so they do undergo um s- s- certain changes which will mean that every fiber is not ex- it does could never appear absolutely um identical um and so i guess this is why we have gone through this um, process, and and it, uh, and it has been an endurance event. This uh, this portion of the trial, because the they are these fibers are so important to the prosecution, and they want to make sure that the um, justice hall has every single variant before him, every single comparison before him. So when they come to sum it up um, tomorrow, in 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 one respect, and then when um, the the actual UK expert gives evidence next week, um, they will be able to um, show him a holistic view of, of, of the fibres um, and point to where we've shown you, Your Honour, that they do actually match um, uh, stride for stride, dollar for dollar. Yeah. Well, Mr Powell uh, has now presented 94 out of those 98 critical fibres, so we're almost Mm -hmm. there. Uh, Tim, (laughs) who was in court today? Has there been any um, other people turning up for the fibre evidence this week? Well, um, Kira's father, Dennis, um, actually did return to court um, for um, a a couple of hours yesterday, um, which was um, a little bit of a surprised as he hasn't been coming um, for several um, months actually um, mostly because of the coronavirus um, issues um, obviously um, Dennis is um, in his in his 70s um, and with all the concerns um, around um, the more uh, um, elderly members of the public I, I think he, he uh, my understanding is he wanted to come by there but he felt 
you know, it would probably be um, better and safer if he didn't. Mm. But he, he was there yesterday um, um, for the morning um, session, um, which was which was nice to see. Um, but uh, now we were back uh, back to our uh, skeletons after day. <laughs> Matt, uh, just just a few hardcore journeys. Yeah. Um, the um, the coppers that have been um, attending the trial every day. Um, and obviously the main players um, up the front and uh, obviously in the dock. And you had some clarification today uh, as to when the state's fibre expert, Dr Ray Palmer, who's based mm. in the UK, when when he will be giving evidence? Yeah, so we did have a little um, little bit of a mud map of where we're going for the next uh, little while. So Mr Powell will return um, for his, we think it's his uh, ninth day on the stand tomorrow, um, where he will... Finally, we think or we know, we sure, we're pretty sure that he will finish his evidence in chief um, and his cross-examination um, may well start. And then we've got the Anzac Day holiday, so we won't resume court until Tuesday. And it's then that we we think we will get to Dr. Palmer. Um, he, it's, he's a he's a world-renowned fibre expert. Um, my understanding was he was actually due to fly out before the COVID-19 dramas. He won't, can't now actually get in unless he wanted to fly and we wait two weeks for him to come out of a hotel room. But I don't think anyone wants to do that. So it'll be the old video link, back on the video link, which will um, mean um, uh, late starts and late finishes for um, for us um, in court next week because of the time difference. So he will be starting his evidence around about 4 p.m. Western Australia time, go probably till about eight o'clock at night um, with a break in between and that will go for most of next week so um so yeah we will um we will be back on uh, on on uk time um next week <laughs> which we we did uh, we did earlier in the trial and uh yeah just just another one of those things we've uh, we, we have to do to get it done all the days are blurring into one at the moment <laughs> anyway in this uh iso life in which we're living just a couple of quick questions for you before we leave today this is from rose and rose is also uh, by the sounds of it you know scratching her head a bit about the fiber evidence she asks if they have also found critical fibres from other vehicles, such as a Ford Falcon, a 1995 Toyota Camry, a 1997 Toyota on the floor mat, couldn't those fibres come from passengers that had been in other cars, got bits stuck on their shoes, etc.? It seems very narrow-minded to think that after many years, the carpet on the floor would only have fibres of one car, wouldn't it? Just a thought as the seat and boot was consistent. Yeah, so, um, and this, uh, once again, this, this, this is the reason why we've gone through this in, in such detail. The, the, the fibres that Rose mentioned there, um, they were the, the, the other comparison fibres that, that, um, that were in the Chem Centre database um, that were used as comparisons for the grey fibres. But Rose is absolutely right. And we do know that there were many, 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 many more fibres than just the 98 found in the car, just um, over and above the 98 critical fibres that we're concentrating on. I'm pretty sure we're going to hear a lot, a, a, a bit more about a lot more of those fibres yes. when and we get to the cross-examination because um, of 129 groups of fibres that were found or uh, um pinpointed by the database we've just gone through two um and so uh, i think there'll be a bit more talk about um the possible sources of those other fibers um and whether it will um cast any shadow over uh, over what the prosecution allegations are yeah 
Uh, Damien, Murray would like to ask you, I fully understand that you can't in any way presume that Mr Edwards is guilty, but a question that has stuck in my mind is, in a hypothetical situation, if a defendant in a trial admits guilt to their lawyer but wishes wishes to continue to plead not guilty, can the lawyer continue to represent the defendant? If the question was posed in a hypothetical way, I'm hoping Damien can answer that. It intrigues me, especially in light of the late change of plea in the Huntingdale and Karakata cases. Uh, it's a, a very good question, and, and it won't be the first time that um, myself or any other defence lawyer has been asked this question. There's a few variables that Murray's put in there as well that make the question a little bit more difficult than it might seem on the face of it. So in a hypothetical situation, and that's the only situation we can we can work in because we can never get inside of what is going on between a lawyer and their client because of privilege. Mm. But if you would say, if the, if the question was, if um, a person who was accused of something during the course of a trial, which is the way Murray has canvassed that question, in a, in a trial admits guilt to the lawyer but wishes to continue to plead not guilty, can the lawyer continue to represent the defendant? What... I think the key thing about that would be is during the trial, um, if, if, a, if, a, if a person who was accused of something and the trial had commenced, uh, changed their instructions to the lawyer, which, which comprised the accused person saying, look, I'm guilty of this, but I want the trial to continue and I want to maintain my plea of not guilty. My, my answer to that on a general basis would be that I would suspect that their instructions that they were guilty would be inconsistent with their previous instructions that they were not guilty. So on that basis, I would, given the information that I've got about the question, I would say that the lawyer would be conflicted and it would be very difficult for them to continue to um, represent the, the accused person. But I think that I should clarify that, Murray, by saying that there are some circumstances in where Issues within the trial have had have had instructions, i.e., um, I wasn't driving the car. That so so let's say I wasn't driving the car with your instructions before the trial started, but that wasn't the only thing that would have made the person guilty. Then during the course of the trial, that person might turn around to the lawyer and say, "You know what? I was guilty. I am per- I am the person that drove the car." It might not amount to guilt in the full picture of the trial. So even though they, the lawyer now becomes aware that the, the, um, the person was driving the car, it may not completely resolve the issue of the person's guilt. So the, the point that I'm making about that, that, there are circumstances where a lawyer can continue to represent a person when they change some element of their instructions during the course of a trial, but you're left in a position where they can still, the, the police, like the client could say, the police are still required to prove beyond a reasonable doubt. And if the only thing you're testing is whether the, the, the police can test that, it might, might be the case that the lawyer could, could continue to represent them. But generally speaking, if we're to- looking at the trial that was, that's in front of us in relation to this podcast, I would have said that that would, put a, uh, that would create a situation where this legal team would be conflicted 100% because it would, if this person turned around and... Um, said that they were guilty, uh, in a general sense, then there wouldn't be uh, a way f- that I could see. And I remember that I'm not the lawyer acting for them, so I don't know what the instructions are. I've got no idea what the instructions are. But the way that Murray set this question up, I would imagine that it would be very difficult for this legal team to continue to represent the defendant in those circumstances. Yeah. So um, 
I don't think that that's got anything to do with the, the Huntingdale and the Karakata cases, unless Tim can see something that I'm missing in the context of the Huntingdale and Karakata cases. I don't think um, that that really plays a part in the question in relation to the um, his plea in this in this trial. Oh, no, that helps no, yeah, yeah. I mean that's right, Damien, um, because look, it would have been a completely different. Um, issue if we had started the trial on the basis that Mr Edwards maintained his not guilty pleas to those two and then changed his plea mid-trial, um, that might cast a lot more um, issues than it did, even though it did create some issues, but some of them were actually um, positive in, in terms of the time that the trial was going to take um, because that those cases were the, the Huntingdale and the Karakata cases, as they were going to, going to be run, didn't have to be run that way. We did; we've heard evidence, but not as nowhere near as much as we as, as we did. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's a, it's it's a it's a question we get asked as court reporters as well, um, quite regularly. Um, you know, do lawyers um, you know just take the money even though they know their clients are guilty? Um, and um, the way that Damien phrased the answer is, is the the answer that um, most other lawyers that I've asked the question of have said it as well. If 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 you get if you get an instruction that completely conflicts, it's your duty to the court to um, to tell the truth, basically. And I think uh, listeners who have been emailing us have been quite interested in this idea of the change of plea with the Karakata mm. and the Huntingdale attacks. And I, I'm not sure, Tim, but in the video, six-hour video statement that um, was filmed, uh, the police questioning, would uh, those charges have been put to Bradley Edwards at the time and we would have uh, seen uh, you know, uh, a plea of sorts in that? Absolutely, they were, Nat, and that's, this was raised in the opening and it will be raised in the closing as well by Miss Barbara Gallo because in those interviews, as we understand them, we haven't seen them yet, but in those interviews, as we understand them, Mr Edwards denied those um, offences at, at that time in 2016. Um, obviously, he's, he's, he's changed his plea um, and Miss Barbara Gallo um, raised that issue in her opening um, in terms of um, Mr Edwards' being willing willing to tell that the police untruths at that time um about the, those offenses um and so how can you believe anything that would get in the correlation to will be how can you believe anything he says about um, the other offenses that he's charged with but um yeah and it's 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 not so um it's not so long now until we actually do get to hear that, that those um those questions and answers and um, when the video is played so that that will be um that will be extremely interesting yeah and that is the video that everybody is waiting for thank you both so very much for your time and thanks for your company today we hope you can join us tomorrow for day 78 of claremont in conversation this podcast is hosted by Natalie Bongiolo, produced by Kate Ryan, and recorded in the studios of Seven West Media. Sign up for daily emails and all the latest on the Claremont trial at thewest.com.au. And if local news delivered differently appeals to you, tune into WA's newest morning show, The West Live with Jenna Clark. It's talkback radio, but without the interruptions. Listen live weekdays from 8.45am on thewest.com.au or catch up with the podcast.